0: Welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. My name is Scott Mort. I hope that you have had just the best week of your life. I have had a fantastic one myself. On Saturday, my wife and I, we got in the car. We took a a drive up to a little town here in Pennsylvania called Loretto. Loretto actually ties into our story a little bit. You'll see a little bit later how. Loretto is home of St. Francis University, but it's also home to the tomb of Prince Demetrius Galitzin, who, as we speak, is is a strong contender for sainthood. Now, whenever you go to the tomb, it's it's a large statue of of Father Galitzin, and you go behind the statue, you walk down a set of steps... And it is extremely claustrophobic. I don't even have claustrophobia. I was feeling very, very claustrophobic throughout this whole experience. You have to duck down. The, the roof of the tomb is only about four feet tall. So you have to duck down and you go in. And there, there inside the tomb is the coffin of Prince Galitzin, a fascinating man. Uh, prince Galitsyn was a Russian prince who gave up his fortune to become a priest. He was also one of America's first paranormal investigators. And today, we're going to talk about the story of Wizard Clip. Now, we're going to go all the way back to the 1700s, specifically 1794, there's this family, the Livingston family. They're a Pennsylvania family, and they own a lot of land. He's a farmer. But for unknown reasons, Livingston's Pennsylvania property starts to have a magnificent string of bad luck. His cattle die. Uh, His barn burns to the ground. And pretty soon, even though he has this huge amount of land, the the patriarch of the family, Adam Livingston, he's got nothing really left in Pennsylvania. So him and his family, they pack up and move. Now they resettle on a massive 350 acres near Middleway, Virginia. One night, a stranger boards at the house, and this stranger doesn't look to be in good health. Everybody everybody can see it. Anybody who lays eyes on this stranger realizes this is a man who's not long for the world, and pretty soon, it sinks into the stranger's head as well. The stranger looks at Adam and just says, I'm I'm not long for this world. Please bring me a Catholic priest so I can have my last rites. The problem was Middleway was pretty devoid of Catholics. No priest can be found. And Livingston, who was Lutheran, wasn't really excited about finding one. The stranger dies, and he's buried without a Catholic service. Now, is Catholicism the one true religion? I don't believe so. I believe the Catholics believe that, and that's fine. That's fine. One thing, one thing that I'm absolutely certain about religion is that if anybody tells you they know exactly what happens after you die, that they know the mind of God, you should probably turn around and run in the other direction. I don't think it's meant for us humans to know. I think it's meant for us humans to believe, to have faith, but not to know. I, I myself, like to think of religion as fragments of the truth. Where I can say I can say to my brother man, I believe this one thing to be true. My religion believes that. Just as an example, we should treat others the way we want to be treated. And then this other religion goes, Yeah, we believe that too. And now another religion goes, Yeah, we believe that too. And it's like, okay, we all have that in common, so. We know that to be a universal truth that we should treat others the way we would want to be treated. But instead, I find that we tend to use religion as an excuse to be really, really bad to each other. I'm off the soapbox, getting back to the story. The stranger passes away. He does not have a Catholic burial. But at this point, candles do not stay lit in the room where he died. Embers would jump out of the fireplace and threaten to burn the house down. You could hear heavy shears making clipping noises in the house. You could hear the sound of horses galloping where there were no horses. Pottery, dishes would be smashed. And even though this is not what the ghost is known for, to me, this is the most terrifying thing. This ghost, you'd be walking through the field with like a geese or a duck beside you and its head would just fall off. Like somebody took a massive pair of shears and just clipped. And the head would fall off. The duck would be laying there dead and bleeding out. That to me is terrifying. That that, to me is the scariest part of this. You don't often hear about ghosts that do physical harm. Be it to humans or animals. The breaking of plates, that's pretty common. But I think this is the first time I've ever heard of a ghost decapitating anything. But this ghost has become known as Wizard Clip. Because it had a habit of just any fabric that would come in the house. We're talking sheets, boots leather they would be clipped with half moon shapes so you know the the half moon the crescent moon you would think wizard so wizard clip that's where the name comes from not only would this ghost cut out that crescent moon shape in their clothing they would cut it out of the skin of their animals didn't matter what the cloth was none of it would escape this ghost and it would it would cut them while people were wearing them if you would store if you would store like clothes in a closet you would pull it out again clipped pieces were clipped on the laundry line there was one visitor who came to the livingston house just to see this, who had this silk hat that she was very proud of. So she wanted to keep it safe. She took off her silk hat, wrapped it in a handkerchief. She visits, then unwraps the hat. Her silk hat is cut to shreds. It got so bad, Middleway became known as Cliptown. If you go there today, there's a historic marker in Middleway, Virginia. It bears the number 44. But it's got a crescent moon in shears because of the wizard clip ghost. Now the Livingstons, as many do, they begin to look to religion for a solution to this problem. He he reaches out to his pastor, his Lutheran pastor, but was turned away because the minister said, it's not in my power to banish the evil spirit in this house. Livingston, desperate, he approaches an Episcopal minister. He was visited by a Methodist. He He brings in conjurers. He brings in psychics. Each person who tried to get rid of this ghost, if they were lucky, they were just hit with flying stones. If they were lucky. Livingston is a broken man. He's losing faith in himself. He's losing faith in his God, in his fellow man. But one night, Adam Livingston has this dream where he sees a long man in a cloak. Livingston takes this to mean that he should seek out a Catholic priest for help. And he finds Reverend Dennis Cahill. And he's reluctant about it. He doesn't want a Catholic coming into his home, but he's desperate. Cahill utters some prayers, sprinkles some holy water. The hauntings cease for a few days. Not only that, a large sum of money that had previously gone missing, it's just sitting there on the threshold of the house. Now, this story reaches up to Father Demetrius Galitzin, Prince Galitzin, who had heard the story of Wizard Clip. And he goes, I want to see this. I want to go down. He goes down, he says a mass at the house. He stays there for a few days. Now, he wrote a long report. To his bishop John Carroll, Bishop John Carroll, very famous Catholic bishop. That document is lost to time, but he does mention it in some of his other writings, such as the Gallitzin letters. Uh, if you happen to find the Gallitzin letters, look for a letter to a Protestant friend. He does say in this letter that he was skeptical. But after being there for three months, witnessing everything that was going on, he said, and I quote, I was soon converted to a full belief of them. I've done a few ghost hunts in my life. And I will say, if you want to have results whenever you're doing ghost hunting, Take a skeptic along with you. Take somebody who doesn't believe. If you bring all believers, a lot of times nothing will happen or just minor little things. You bring a skeptic. You bring somebody who's very vocal about not believing, and it's almost like the ghosts there are trying to prove their existence. So, does the supernatural stop? Does it cease? No. The Livingston family begins hearing something they call the voice. And they are being instructed by the voice. In Catholicism the voice was said to exclaim, I want prayers and shame members of the family who are not pure in their confessions. And it's through these strange, strange circumstances that Adam Livingston and most of his children become devout Catholic converts. In 1802, Livingston deeded a portion of his land to the Catholic church in perpetuity and moved back to Pennsylvania where he died in 1820. Now he, he wanted to make sure that there was always a member of the clergy on the land and any profits from it should go towards building or repairing a church on the land. Now this land has become known as priest field pastoral center. It still belongs to the church to this day. It's used by the church itself. It's used by sewing clubs. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous groups. Now. So far. There's been no reports. Of any paranormal phenomena. Happening on the land. But. But. It's never really left the hands of the church, has it? Would they want people to know that a piece of their property was haunted? If they couldn't get rid of it, would that make their power seem less? Or maybe Wizard Clip still lives in there someplace, Some corner of the land that only the priests know about. If you belong to any of these sewing groups, any of the AA groups, if you have ever been on this land and experienced something unusual, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear your stories you can do so at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. I want to throw a huge thank you out to Anna, who emailed me this week at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. We had a, had a little bit of a back and forth. It was really nice to hear from a listener. And just, I hope, Anna, I hope, I always live up to your standards and go beyond them. I want all my listeners to have fun and please feel free to contact me. Our next story is going to take us all the way to space. I love space. Space is just who who doesn't? Who doesn't? It's where we all live, you know. But I think some of the most fascinating stories of the unknown are going to come from space now we're going to go to december 21st all the way through the 27th 1968 apollo 8 this is the first crewed spacecraft to leave low earth orbit and it's also the first human spaceflight to reach another object in space the moon the crew orbited the moon without landing, came back to Earth. These three astronauts, Frank Borman, James Lavelle, William Anders, they were the first humans to witness and photograph an Earthrise. But they also photographed something else while they were up there. Apollo 8 took a lot of pictures during the mission. But remember, Remember, at this time, there are no digital cameras. So they didn't see these photos until they returned to Earth and they got them developed. And in one of the photos, there's something very, very strange. This image looks like it's taken out of, a, out of an old 1950s bad sci-fi film. It has long, long tentacles. It looks all the world like a squid. But a squid made out of lightning. It is an ugly, vicious thing. I hope it's friendly. I hope it's attractive to others of its own kind. And I'm not the only one that thinks it looks like a squid. It was given the name. Space squid. Now of course scientists looking at this. Are going like. Are there. Are there animals. That are alive. Out in space. Are there extremophiles. That can live without oxygen. In high radiation environments. There is a scientist. His name is Vitali Iosevich Goldansky. He's a professor at the Institute of Physical Chemistry. Nikolai Nikolaevich Semenov. He wrote an article in 1997 on pure and applied chemistry. And he argued that there might be enough prebiotic material in space to create creatures such as the space squid. If you want to see a picture of the space squid, go over to the YouTube channel. Look down at your player right now. I will make the cover art to this podcast the picture of the space squid. But he was thinking to himself, the man with the incredibly difficult name to pronounce, Vitali Iosevich Goldansky, that he didn't think the space squid. He he was thinking that this wasn't a living organism. His thought was that this was an alien spacecraft much more sophisticated than our tech. It was designed to survive in space and use only the energy that it got from space. He postulated that the tentacles might be a a strange propulsion system that releases a web of energy behind the vehicle. Why not? Why not an organic spacecraft? A spacecraft that can heal. A spacecraft that can metabolize. a spacecraft that can reproduce other spacecraft. As it gets old and dies, a younger spacecraft will take its place. Organic tech would seem to me to be the penultimate of technology. Programmable organic matter. Before you sit back and go, Programmable matter, matter that heals itself? And that's ridiculous, Scott. Humans are doing this now. Scientists from the University of Colorado Boulder have created bricks that are capable of healing themselves. They're developing a hybrid construction material made of microbes and sand. Not only do these repair themselves, they pull carbon dioxide out of the air. There's a professor at University of Colorado Boulder, Will Srubar. He headed up an interdisciplinary team that created this living building block. It can heal its own cracks. That, that's, that's like the main trick. These, these living bricks would be amazing to use in extreme conditions. Let's talk about a battle bunker. Could you imagine a battle bunker that would take on enemy fire and then overnight heal itself Good as new, maybe better, maybe better than new. This could be a healing living brick, could be what we use to make settlements on other planets. Now, they're expensive now. But ultimately, Srubar says these things are going to be cheaper to produce than the bricks you would buy at Home Depot. He's even thinking that these living bricks might change color in the presence of dangerous chemicals. Not just that. Not just that. But let's say your house is exposed to radon, which is a big problem here in Pennsylvania. These living bricks would eat the radon, this dangerous toxin, suck them up. To make these bricks, they take a blended bacteria and put it onto a scaffolding made from gelatin and sand now the microbes in them absorb carbon dioxide and they make calcium carbonate that's the main ingredient in cement you can then take this bacteria scaffolding mix and make it into shapes the interdisciplinary team showed they could produce small cubes a brick about the size of a shoebox even Kind of a fancy little sandcastle. Now, you're probably sitting there saying to yourself, Scott, it's probably going to just break apart. No. The team tested this stuff under a variety of temperatures, humidity conditions, and it has the same strength as mortar used by contractors today. To me, not only are healing bricks a major step forward in science a major step forward for our environment but if anything they make the theory of the space squid a little bit more plausible maybe this is a spacecraft an organic living spacecraft For our last story, we're going to go back to the Soviet Union during the 60s and 70s. It was not a good place to live. People lived pretty much in a constant state of fear. People were afraid of their own government. People were afraid of possible atomic and nuclear war with the United States but there is there is an icon, there is a phenomenon that evoked terror in those days. the Black Volga the the Black Volga was well known across the Soviet Union. It was a really nicely kept high-end limousine. But to this day, no one knows who was driving this limo. There was speculation that it was driven by priests, nuns, others said Satan worshipers. A few of the more dramatic said the devil himself was the driver. One thing was certain, though. When the black Volga appeared, bad things happened. It was sleek and black and had white curtains. And just like the men in black and their cars, it just sort of come out of nowhere. Now, some reports said that the side mirrors were horns. One thing was certain, though, when it appeared in an area. Many, many children would be reported missing. If anyone dared to challenge the car, they would be found dead in less than a day. No one really knows why the children went missing. There was speculation that they were being sold, that they were being used for Organ transplants. Nothing has ever been proven, though, because no one could get close enough to the car and live. But you're probably saying to yourself, Scott, why, why just this car? A Volga. Hey, no big deal. If a kid goes missing, two kids, three kids, and a Volga just happens to be there, maybe it's happenstance. I don't think so. The Volga was the most expensive. The most beautiful car that anyone could own at that time in the Soviet Union. If you were riding in a Volga or if you owned one of them, you were a political official. You were a high place member of the Communist Party. So take of that what you will. The Black Volga spread so much terror. In 1973, there was a horror film about it in Poland. I'm going to read the synopsis here. It says, Throughout the 60s and 70s, rumors persisted about children being kidnapped by the KGB throughout Poland, Hungary, Romania, and the Ukraine. This film details the terror that a small town in Poland experienced during a wave of abductions. Now, there were sightings of the Black Volga again in the 90s. So what do you think the Black Volga was? Let me know in our YouTube comments section down below. Myself... I'm keen on thinking that the Black Volga was nothing more than the government coming in. At the time, you really couldn't trust your government in the 60s and 70s in the, in the USSR. It could have been the Russian mob. Maybe it was vampires. Maybe it was Satanists. Many local people believe that the children were taken to a top secret facility where their blood was drained to be sold on the black market. Everyone in this area, everyone in this time period has a theory on what the Black Volga was. I would love to hear more stories of the Black Volga. There just doesn't seem to be a lot there. And it's understandable. It's understandable. In in that climate, not a lot of stories were told. It isn't like the black-eyed kid sightings today, where people go online and post about them. It was very much a keep-your-mouth-shut type of deal. When you stop and think about it, even the most popular unsolved case in that area, the Dyatlov Pass. How much do we really know about it? It was, it was the fashion of the time. You kept to yourself. You stayed quiet. I know I said that this was the last case. This weekend, I, I enjoyed a little time with one of my favorite books from my library. Uh, Charles Berlitz's World of the Incredible But True. And most of the stories in here aren't really enough for a full segment, but some of them I think are really quite worthy of attention. We're going to talk about Dr. C. Lombroso. Now, he is a very, very highly regarded neurologist and psychiatrist. He sees this 14-year-old girl who had suddenly become ill and completely lost her sight. Her eyes are completely non-functional. There is no way her eyes are working, but this girl claimed that she could see. And her parents are just stunned, and they don't understand it, so they take her to Dr. Lombroso. To see if she's telling the truth. Or if there can be any other explanation. Lombroso blindfolds the girl. Even though he knows for a fact she can't see through the ruins of her eyes. And he places objects in front of her. She could see them. She could see them. And probably doing better than I could. She can identify colors. I can't do that. I'm colorblind. She can even read letters so Lombroso starts to do a little bit of studying he wants to know where vision is coming from he shines a very bright light across her earlobe and it causes her to wince in pain okay the girl is seeing out of her earlobe now He then kind of pokes her nose with the tip of his finger. And she goes, are you trying to blind me? So now she's able to see out of the tip of her nose and her earlobe. Somehow, some way, the only thing Lombroso can, can wrap his mind around is that this girl's sense of vision has relocated to her earlobe and her nose. Now, it's a quite common thing. Other senses kick in, become stronger when one sense is lost. But a sense relocating, that's different. But more than that, Lombroso, being a curious man, does more tests. And he finds out that this girl can also smell through her chin. Fascinating, if true. I think that's the best way to put put the stories that I talk about here. Fascinating, but true. Thank you so much for joining me yet again this week here on Strange Pathways. Come on over to our Facebook page. Go over to YouTube. Click like. Hit subscribe. Leave a comment. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app it really really does help just tell a friend tell a friend tell two friends you know you've got a friend that would absolutely love the stories we talk about here. If you'd like to contact me with a story of your own just to say hi strange at gmail.com once again thank you all so very much for listening. have a wonderful week. take care of yourselves and each other.